Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We're on episode 161. And on this week's episode, I was joined by Tennessee native Hayden Ferrari. And this episode was a fun discussion to have with Hayden because I was able to hear the passion and the drive that Hayden has to become a more well-rounded hunter. And although growing up in Tennessee, Hayden has a bunch of ties to PA from uncles and cousins and all kinds of stuff down in the Lancaster area. And to start this episode off, we chat about the relationships between bow hunting and sports and how that has helped the two of us really when it comes to doing whatever it takes to be a better hunter, to be a better archer, and what it takes to tackle adversity, kind of like you know being thrown in the, into the thick of things a little bit. And we follow that up with what are some key attributes that has helped him elevate his skills as a hunter and from making adjustments from past seasons, becoming more proficient in reading maps, scouting, and getting outside is really his comfort zone. Hayden had a fun and successful hunting season for 2022, and he breaks that down from strategy that led to his success, as well as his buck story. And one thing Hayden tried this past season was going out of state for a whitetail hunt, which was a funny, kind of interesting story because it was it's very relatable. You know, he shares his experience from scouting before the season in Kansas, hoping to pull that tag, which he did not end up doing, which ultimately led him to go to Missouri for an over-the-counter whitetail hunt and we wrapped this episode up talking about some of Hayden's favorite gear that he enjoyed using this past season really really fun episode check Hayden out what he has going on and also want to just quickly say thanks a lot everybody for stopping by the booth at the tethered booth at the great American outdoor show really awesome to, to meet some of you some of the guests on the podcast that we've had been also just individuals, man. It really, it really hit home and really love what we're doing here at Antler Up and just want to say thank you for all the continued support and just want to thank uh, the, the opportunity to, to see our friends and from Exodus and all over. So really appreciate it. So check out Antler Up on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and obviously if you like what you hear here on the podcast go leave a review over at Apple iTunes as well as Spotify we really appreciate it thanks a lot everybody enjoy this episode
America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP and you will save $10 off your order. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. All right, everybody, welcome back for another week's uh, episode. And this week, I'm joined by Hayden Ferrari. Hayden Ferrari, man, pleasure having you on this evening. And cool topics, like you said, that we are kind of could dive down into and rabbit hole and everything like that. And I like the one last part where you're like, you're a gear guy, so you like talking a little bit of gear. So we could, yeah. we could do a whole podcast and a half probably just on that. But Hayden, man, thanks for coming on. Where are you coming from? And I appreciate you having me. Uh, so I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, so a little, little ways from you. I do have some connections to uh, PA and my whole parent side, my dad's side of the family is from oh, up there. Cool. So I grew up there a good bit. I'm a played football at the university of Memphis. Uh, but my other heart and soul is with uh, the Nittany lions. That's my second favorite team. So oh, very cool. a little connection there, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I've just been a, uh, you know, pretty, lifelong outdoorsman with uh my grandfather and and dad and towards the end of high school kind of got into bow hunting um and through college with just the amount of time that i had um you know not being able to work with football or whatnot you know when i wasn't doing football or school i was in the woods hunting and over the last i would say six years it's kind of really blown up into just kind of the main thing I really care about besides putting a roof <laughs> over my head. So, um, yeah, a little different down here than, than up there for sure. Now, now um, will you say a little connections back to Pennsylvania with your dad and everything now, where are they like kind of, where, where were they kind of coming out of here in Pennsylvania? I have a mass amount of cousins and aunts in uh, Lancaster area. Oh, very cool. So, yeah, the Lancaster archery just kind of just wrapped up and very yep. cool. Nice. Yeah, they're good hunting too in that area. And so you said go down, you're living now from kind of born and raised and growing up in, in Tennessee and everything like that. High school. How was the last couple of years? Because I saw you played, uh, you know, you were an athlete, like you said, uh, in college, it looked like. Um, you know, talk a little bit about kind of how you were able to manage that little aspect of things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, my dad was went to high school here in Memphis. He played football in Memphis. Um, so I was raised kind of a Memphis Tiger football player, played high school ball here, um, and ended up getting a preferred walk-on awesome. opportunity at the University of Memphis. Uh, so uh, luckily, was with my high school grades or whatnot, I was able to get a little bit of a school in-state cut off. Um, and so I walked on and then ended up earning a scholarship through that um, for my last year. Um, but I was able to kind of work some odd jobs in the summer mm-hmm. uh, to kind of help help with that expense until I got put on scholarship and, uh, 
you know, with, with college football, especially these days, um, I played 15 to 18, so four seasons. And with the online schooling and whatnot, I mean, uh, most athletes are going to do all of their classes online, it seems like nowadays. So it was really wake up, go to football, and then throughout the day and at nighttime, that's when you do your schoolwork. Yeah. Now, talk, I guess, how – because we've, we've done a podcast, oh, man, over a year ago with our good friend uh, Bill – Harvey from Pertnier Outdoors because, you know, we, Dimitri, myself, and I, we, uh, we played kind of competitive sports in college and, you know, myself for baseball, our friend Billy from New York with Pertnier Outdoor Podcast, he did baseball uh, and Dimitri played football. So, and you doing that, and we talked about like some of our hunting failures, right? Like we, I almost feel like, thank goodness I played organized sports growing up because, when I was younger, I, I did bow hunt. However, I had a lot more success with the gun and it just seemed like year after year, it was just, I don't want to say easy, but it was like, boom, 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 like putting them down with it, with a gun. And that first time when I failed with the bow, I chalk it up to like, thank goodness I played organized sports because it taught me, you know, that taste of defeat and to manage through that persevere and the struggle, the grind. And I kind of relate that. And I've, you know, obviously I'm not playing at a professional level and nor do I play at a professional level with bow hunting or archery or anything like that. But the, the pursuit to try to be the best I can in archery, I feel like translates into what I did growing up to be the best baseball player I possibly could be like, whether it be weight training and like speed, agility, your swing, throwing, just defensive work, all that stuff now goes into arrow building, shot process, scouting, just all that. It kind of really relates in, into that realm. And it's really cool to see, like we were just saying earlier with Instagram, when you look on there and you see certain people like, wow, those individuals, you know, competed in like yourself, like in at that high collegiate level or in a professional level and how that kind of, you see that world kind of intertwine and seamless transition. Yeah, definitely. It's funny you say that. I mean, the, the competitiveness from you from whether it's just little league sports to high school sports, even collegiate and beyond that, it, it never really leaves you. Uh, you find trying to kind of build on, on your little, your little failures uh, and, and learning possibilities there um, throughout. And I mean, it, yeah, it, it never leaves you and, and you bring up a good point with like missing a deer and, and starting with gun hunting. So, you know, I, really only rifle hunted the majority of my life in Tennessee rifle season is like as long as a rifle season as you're going to find. So you could always pretty much rifle hunt or muzzleloader hunt. And I remember, um, it was when I was in college and, you know, I, I think I sat 40 sits with a bow. Um, my scene. Yeah. My no, my junior year. And, on a piece of property that I had permission on cause I didn't have any land in the area. Um, and I saw like three deer, um, and they were all nowhere near within <laughs> bow range. Um, and then the following year still dead set on, on being a, you know, hardcore bow hunter. Um, I got a new piece of property that, that I've been on now for five years and it was a little bit higher caliber deer, um, and, and a lot more of them. And so I'd, would rifle hunt here and there just seeing if something would come out. And what was it? 2020. I had gotten a picture of just an absolute stud on camera. Um, and I told my friend and he kills 
giants for this area and he hunts whatever the season is. And I told him, I was like, I'm not, I'm killing that deer with a bow. Yeah. And I sat all year long for that deer. Um, and saw him like five times. And then the, the farmer needed us kill doe. So I went out December 28th, like towards the end of the year, like when I had like a week left of the season at that time. Um, and in an area, I didn't think I'd see the deer and lo and behold, he walks out. And so I shot him with the gun, obviously it was 160 inch deer in West Tennessee is kind of hard to pass. Yep. Um, anywhere, <laughs> it, right. It's anywhere. <laughs> um, so that, it, it just builds on that. And, and after that, it was like, all right, I'm done with a gun. Like I, I haven't touched a gun. I think I rifle hunted twice since then. That's um, very cool. And no. it was hardcore bow hunting. I was just, um, about a year into hunting with the saddle. Um, so it was more learning the maps, you know, mobile hunting, um, just trying to figure out how deer move. I walked that entire farm and it's a 30 or 3000 acre track of land. And I walked the entire farm that all season, just running cameras, uh, doing everything I could, um, to get, you know, when I found a deer that I wanted to hunt and, you know, played the wind ride and, you know, November 4th, first big cold front of the year, uh, for us and got in the stand, took off work. And, um, he walked out at seven yards and thought I drilled him. And that broadhead never opened up, came out the front sternum and that deer lived. Oh, so man. you talk about a bounce back of, of competitive. I mean, that only fed to, to what I'm trying to do. And, you know, the, the biggest goal for me for a long time has been get a solid deer with a bow on film. Yeah. Um, and so keeps, keeps building from that and you just don't really ever <laughs> stop. Yep. You know, it's just, there's something that a point in time during this journey of what we do where a fire gets lit and, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's fun to, to watch and it's fun to watch like other individuals with their goals of how they succeeded. It, it's just so cool because I mean, we've been doing the podcast now exactly three years and it's just really neat to see how a lot of our friends and people we've met just grow and, and develop and new people do the same thing, you know, that, that you learn and yeah. meet. And, um, it's, that's really, really neat. And you talk about like all the new properties. And the one thing you mentioned to me is how this past year you were able to go out, you know, get way outside your comfort zone, right. And go yeah. out on, on public land, uh, out of state hunt. So before we do that though, um, let's kind of go from, let's kind of maybe rewind a little bit because that big, the big buck that you shot with the gun, was that your 2020 buck that, that, yeah. I, yep. Okay. So then let's kind of, Let's rewind to, I guess, from that, I guess, do a fast forward from 2020 to the beginning of this season. Like, what are some of the things that you tried to grow as a hunter? Like you said, obviously the bow hunting aspect uh, of things, but then you, you talked about the saddle hunting and uh, the mobile game, because myself, I've done more private land hunting uh, back in Northeastern Pennsylvania. It's mountain range. It's still it's private, but it's not like there's no food plots. It's still trekking up and down the big woods. It's still tough, tough hunting. And with a little bit of really little to no pressure, it's really tough to get on these deer. I know that kind of might seem like, oh, it's easier, but man, that mountain is 40,000 acres altogether. Those deer could live anywhere and everywhere because they're not pressured, right? So it's a challenge in itself. So I guess like within that two and a half to leading up to this past season, what were some of those key things that you really feel like either things click for you, like the good, the bad, the ugly, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll start with first, you know, being mobile um, has something that I've always since bow hunting, you know, for the last six, seven years, I've had to, you know, I've never, especially a college kid, high school kid, not being able to buy, you know, a, all kinds of tree stands <laughs> and, and lock ons to put up. It was the run and gun lock on with sticks that you, you saw um, Zach Farrenball and Aaron mm-hmm. and all those guys when they were at Midwest whitetail um, and what they were doing. So I, that's where it started, but man, it was a pain and it was a struggle. Um, and you ended up leaving that tree stand up in a tree and hunt that a couple times and then you take it down and move it. So the saddle for me was kind of what elevated it to being able to move quickly and efficiently, uh, which led into, okay, so now where do I actually go? Mm-hmm. What am I looking for? Um, to get those deer in bow range. So um, being mobile, uh, even on a private land, it can be a very small private land or it could be a very large private land and it could be, you know, unpressured area or very highly pressured area. It, it doesn't matter, but I found that, you know, being mobile and being able to, you know, adjust as the deer season goes on and as these deer uh, over each season evolve and, mm-hmm. and maybe shift up their habits a little bit um, is, has been probably the number one key for me. Definitely. It's that has been, you look at, listen to podcasts, watch videos that has been, I love the connection that you made with getting more mobile, but then allowing yourself to get in that specific range that you need to be in to kill those deer with the bow. Cause myself, that's something too, that I had to, I went through, you know, like I said, learning to, okay, uh, this is a nice general core area that I know deer like to be into, but like, instead of making it that easy 50, 60 yard chip shot with the rifle, how do I make that an easy chip shot with the bow? Right. And I won't forget a couple of years ago when I went in uh, scouted like in the spring and also in the summer, I, I put up my, like at the time was a lock on. So this is about four or five years ago. And I'm like, this is the area actually. Yeah. It was about six years ago. I was like, this is the area. I, I know it. Just look at the sign, uh, the travel route that it seems like these deer are, have been making. And I put up the camera or my, my stand. And as I was hunting kind of the rut time and it was real windy and I'm watching these deer 80, 90 yards in front of me. I'm like, they're just walking right up this two track. Why am I in this thick, nasty brush where there's like one trail, (laughs) like thinking that's the one trail where this buck is going to go into. And I'm just watching and I'm on the grunt call, like as if I'm playing the saxophone, you know, just trying to get this buck to hear it through the wind. And I'm watching the trees blow. I'm like, man, I need to change something up. I need to be mobile. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where things finally, I guess, click for me to get down, put in a new stand, put in a new opportunity. And, um, yeah, so it's, that's kind of like where that clicked for me. And it's interesting to hear that it, that's where it was kind of like for you as well. No, yeah, definitely. It, um, you know, it's one thing to be able to say, you see, you know, a couple bucks, but like, where are those bucks? Are they on the other side of the field or are they on the other, other Ridge, you know, mm-hmm. it, where we're at, we've, we don't have mountains like you guys, but, uh, in West Tennessee, we've got some, you know, if you look at it on a, on a map, it doesn't look like a whole lot, but you got some really thick, um, nasty ravines and, um, like ditch systems that you work through and they're really thick. It's not like 
the big woods that are like pretty open. I mean, if you're in the woods, there's, you've got to be in the right spot to catch those deer. So paying attention to those trails and how those deer move is, is probably the number one key. Awesome, man. That's awesome. So then let's kind of lead into getting ready for, you know, from last season to this season, what kind of things did you have to make adjustments to even from there then? Sure. So this season was by far like the most different season um, for me as a hunter um, for a, a, a few reasons, but we'll start out at our lease in where we're at. I mean, the past couple of years, I've had a lot of really good deer on camera um, and we had a huge drought. I mean, everybody had a huge drought, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really hit our area pretty hard and all of our food plots, um, which we don't have a lot of smaller food plots that, but the property has massive ag, Okay. uh, hard to bow hunt that. Right. So you really got a key on, on the food plots. Um, and they were all dust bowls all summer long, even in the beginning of the season, you know, for the first month or two, um, until some of the natural grasses could start to take up because everything that we planted just wasn't there. So I didn't get any bucks on camera. The, the, my main target to at least figure out if, if he was, you know, what he was, was the deer that I had shot and did not kill the year prior. And that deer for, you know, there's a couple of speculations that we have, but you know, he was two months behind in growth. Um, Hmm. and so a lot of the big deer weren't there. So for me, it was, all right, I need more cameras, um, that I need to put out and I need to go hunt different areas. Again, we have a huge track of land that we can hunt and I've only really focused on one area because if you try to hunt 3000 plus acres, you're just going to confuse yourself. Um, (laughs) So it's, it's kind of like going blind and on, on public, um, you just not quite sure. So, uh, definitely had to move around, um, and just figure out where the deer are. I mean, the acorn crop this year was huge for us. Um, and that kept the majority of the deer pretty much all year long, like not on the food plots, not in the fields, not even in the big cut corn that we had. And we had a ton of it. So that, that was kind of, you know, summer, praying for rain, getting that ready. You know, I I really wasn't planning on changing my game plan up a whole lot. I had had a good plan for the last two years on good areas on where I know these deer are. But as soon as kind of the velvet season rolled around and we soon realized like, Ooh, we don't have any food plots. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, that's, that's the best way down here that you're going to see deer is on these food plots for the most part. So it switched to a, a, a in the timber hunting for me for the most part. Um, so that was in and of itself a big learning curve. Okay. Um, for me, cause that's not anything that you're typically going to do down here. Right now, when you talk about like getting the more cameras out, like, do you kind of give yourself like a more of a short term or a long term strategy with your cameras? Like, do you say, Hey, this area is an area that I'm waiting for, maybe the rut and hoping that when a camera gets hot to kind of get in there, checking cameras, going around scouting. Like if this area allows me to, as I'm walking out, maybe check cameras or anything along those lines, like do you have more of a short term or a long term plan with your trail cameras? Yeah, definitely. So I had actually a little bit of both. And as I was getting more cameras, you know, cameras are not cheap by any means these days. So it's, 
that has a lot to play into kind of my thought process. So I ran a, a handful of cameras this year, but if it was a camera that I'd set up in some of these smaller food plots or in the woods where I think deer potentially are going to work, or if it's a historical scrape, you know, I put up a lot of um, non-cell cameras um, to leave them there, whether it was to catch pictures of a whole field. If one deer, you know, was in the range, I could kind of see the whole field, how the deer were moving in that area, um, how many of them were moving in that area or set it up over a scrape and let it work all year and check it a couple times. And that's how I killed my buck this year was that, you know, it's crazy as it is. I've got a lot of cell cameras too. And those are in my areas where I, the deer are going to be there, whether it's like old salt licks that, you know, we can't with the CWD regulations, we can't put um, any corn feed or anything out to even get pictures. So it's really old salt licks and um, just areas off these food pots where I've always seen big deer. Those are where I've typically left to sell cameras, but crazy enough this year, every single really good deer I had on camera for the most part, I'd say like nine out of time, not nine out of 10 times was on one of these non-cell cameras that I had set up for the long run. Yeah. So plays into a little bit of both and just the area of, you know, if I'm going to move it, cause I move those cell cameras a lot as the year progresses, but uh, for the most part, not all yeah. of them, but, yeah. but a lot of them. Yeah. That's kind of, it seems like the philosophy for a lot of hunters uh, where that cell camera is that more so short term, you know, if it, like, if it's nearby, you know what I mean? Like for myself, I have more, more cell cameras at home, which is two twenty, two hours and 20 minutes away from me. So I use that just to kind of help just because I can't get there. My dad can't get to certain spots, you know, just because whatever in, um, so it makes it a little bit easier. Again, the hard part though about that aspect is even though this year, and I said it on my last, that one podcast we did with Cam uh, Dura from Exodus was even though I had the most mature deer and as far as quantity and quality, man, I still only saw a couple in the stand. You know what I mean? So he, they could kind of like what I was saying, I don't know how many times like I told my dad, they're a curse more so for him because he is there, right? He is local to that area and he, we would come, he, I'd help him come up with a game plan and he would maybe go to one spot and, you know, ting that camera would go off, whether a couple hours before, a couple hours after at a whole different spot, you know, and he would never get down. And that's the one thing I know there's that controversy of what the cell camera right now, the last couple of weeks, that's been like the hot topic and, yeah. the, and thing and which I totally get. And I don't know where I stand on it because I see it as a tool um, like there's certain things where I'm like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't like the whole on demand, maybe moving, being able to move a camera. Like, I don't like that, but it, the cell cameras, at least for myself, like they allow me to, man, it's so hard because like, even though they are in the woods two hours away, I still go in there and I put boots on the ground at time, like at the postseason, whether even on certain hunts where if it just the woods seemed dead that day, I'll go walk around. Right. Like that's, that's what I'll do. So I get it. They're a tool, but I'm not totally like against the natural cell camera, if that makes sense. Like, no, I, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I, I'm all for regular trail cameras. Like you said, being able to get, you know, my daughter out in the woods and do things like that. But 
that's where I am on on that stance. But but for you, I like the idea, and I'm excited to to hear that story later on about killing your buck using that intel yeah. with that. So like before you get into more of that, you said about diving into the timber now, going after these deer because of how what the drought kind of led to and like, okay, switching gears a little bit, seeing what the data was saying, how was that kind of getting into and like, what kind of, you know, maybe like you said, looking at the topo, like what were you getting into and, and finding? Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, it's way different than what I've ever been used to, but you know, you have to kind of get the data and adjust. So, yeah. you know, I, I do spend a lot of times just kind of, the past couple of years, just understanding the maps. Um, but unfortunately a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, the YouTube videos and stuff out there that are showing what to be looking for on, on a topo map, um, it's more centered in like the Midwest or kind of more open areas where in the Southeast, you know, unless it's just a really good piece of property, a lot of it's been like select cut. Um, it's very ravine but kind of flat at the same time. It's super thick. Um, so, you know, you, you definitely want to key on, you know, your saddles, um, and your little pinches and, and, and benches and flats and everything. But, um, you know, you can pick out the most beautiful looking saddle in the middle of private land. You walk in there and you can't shoot 20 yards in any in either direction. <laughs> I don't know how great of a, of a bow hunting spot that's going to be. Um, so that was, and kind of has always been the challenge for me this year, but, um, it was, you know, again, just finding, finding those spots on, you know, I, I use the Spartan forge app and, um, you know, just pulling up the app and, and putting down points over the last year, um, and checking them out during the day in the summertime mm-hmm. or in midday during the season and kind of making a middle note or, or putting a note on the app. Um, really looking for me, I found that um, these we have a lot of big benches kind of on the sides of these, you know, ridges. Benches. And uh, there's a lot of ridges through our system. Um, and that was kind of where I found the most success this year, where I would say that every single sit in the timber this year, I saw more deer than I would sitting in the field. Um, really working those big benches coming into bedding and I was able to kind of, again, kind of hard to point out where doe bedding is on a map because it's all thick. Um, but getting in there where I think it is and, you know, there's a good shot. You're probably going to be right if you can find the right spot. Um, so you can get them come in early season. I had a group of 10 deer with, uh, one of these mature bucks that I would have loved to shoot. He's like a, 250 pound four point, like just old got to go kind of deer that I would have loved to take that old deer and him and two small bucks and four does all came and bed down on the same bench where I was at. Um, so it was really cool experience, but it was really cool to learn and see that. And I feel a lot more confident hunting in the timber here in the Southeast than I ever have. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, why don't we dive into like the story of 
the buck that you killed this year. And then we could kind of go down rabbit holes from there. Yeah, definitely. So I had just, um, November was a crazy month for me. I, um, was not really here at all. Um, <laughs> I think I worked like four days at my job that month. Um, so I took the first, first week off, uh, to go to Missouri and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that in a little yep. bit. Um, came back, worked a couple days, hunted a little bit, uh, the week before Thanksgiving, which leading up like the week before Thanksgiving to the week after Thanksgiving is typically like prime rut around here. Okay. That was going to be my next question before you yeah. got into this. Okay, great. So me taking the first week off of November to go hunt like a Midwestern area for their rut still gives me time to come back here and hunt hard. Um, but my twin sister decided that she wanted a destination wedding in Florida <laughs> the week before Thanksgiving for the full week. So I burned a week of vacation, not in the woods down there, uh, for my sister's, um, sister's wedding. Yeah. So I was getting pictures blown up on my phone. Just like, you've got to be <laughs> kidding me. Um, so that, you know, I came back from that, had to go back to the job for a little bit. And then I, um, I, I'll typically drive out there and stay the weekend, um, at my place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about an hour and a half from where I'm at now. Okay. Um, so either stay at a buddy's house out there or camp out, uh, in my rooftop tent. Um, and so I was out there all weekend and I was just hunting in the mornings. Um, it was still super hot for, uh, I mean, even here it was hot. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I can only imagine how, you know, a Northern guy would come down and be like, good Lord, you're yep. in the end of November and it's like 75 degrees. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it was, that's the time I, I didn't, we didn't really see as much rutting as, um, you know, probably in the past or that we're used to, but it was there. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I had a bunch of my non-cell cameras out and I was just hunting an area, um, that I knew was good just from pictures throughout the year. So I went and pulled this card and there was, it was, um, it was over a scrape and it was like kind of up higher, like tilted down. And I just had it on video mode just to see like if I could get some cool, cool videos of some deer working this scrape or, you know, if something comes in and there's actually a couple deer on this camera that I hadn't seen since the summertime, and that I hadn't seen at all. And, and the deer that I had um, ended up shooting was on that camera. And he was on that scrape every day uh, f- for almost a week straight um, yeah. with a couple other mature bucks that I would have uh, also shot. But this one in particular, he's like five years old, five and a half years old. And he's got a beautiful, you know, five, five side. I mean, if, if he was matching, it would have been a beautiful, probably 140 inch 10, but on his weak side, he had just, just a big spike, um, for whatever reason. And, and, you know, I've heard a lot of people say this year that they've seen that a lot in this area out all the way to Alabama and, and in between. Um, and I had the deer looks familiar, but I don't remember the spike. So, I mean, I can go all day long about why I think that might be the case, but, (laughs) um, anyways, I knew he was older and, um, was definitely like on the, on the hit list for that sit. So I had a really good win. There's a really pretty, this feels like a small food plot off a really big food plot with a little bit of timber in between and then a big ridge system up top. And I've hunted that ridge a lot this year. Um, so I know there's really good bedding up there. And it kind of comes down to the big ag field with, with a big bench. 
and I found an old lock or old ladder stand where I kind of picked out on the maps rule one for me. If I pick somewhere out on the maps and I go in there and there's an old lock on, I'm like, okay, great. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Um, so I, I went in, um, you know, a little bit earlier in the afternoon, like right after I pulled this card, um, and got set up and it, I mean, it wasn't, I, I wasn't even fully set up yet. I was just setting up my camera. Um, and I just pulled my bow up and I was kind of like chilling out for a little bit. Like I didn't even have everything all set up yet. And I was like, well, let me pull out the, the whole Primo's dough can and dumped it upside down twice, put it back in the bag and finished setting it up and coming down the big ridge. Here comes that buck. And I mean, he was looking, wondering where that dough was at. Um, and it, it's the same route all the way to where the scrape is Okay. Um, a little further back. And when I came in and picked that spot, you know, I had found a bunch of f- fresher rubs. So it was off a rub line and then there was another scrape. So my thought was not only is there a, a ladder stand there, I picked it out on the mat. So you got a really big, pretty open bench coming down into big ag, also a transition food plot over here. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of doe bedding, the camera is showing a bunch of bucks working back and forth through the scrape into pretty much the same lane that I had hung off probably 80 yards back from there. So that was kind of the mindset where I think, okay, they're kind of maybe up here knowing doe beddings over here. They're going to work their way down into this food pot then maybe back over to the big ag and then loop back around. And so when I hit that doe, doe call, I mean, that buck, pretty much did exactly as I wanted him to do. Came down, worked, crossed over this way, gave me a 17 yard shot filming, um, got it all on film, except for the fact that he stepped out of frame as I released the arrow. So <laughs> very unfortunate for that expect, but it was, you know, the, still the idea of getting it all on film, yeah. um, the kind of whole process of it all. I was really pumped about really pumped to lay that buck down made a great shot on him at like three thirty, like super early. So I'd got down and I was like, all right, it, it's a little touchback, but I know that deer's dead and I'm pretty sure I heard him crash. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pull out for a little bit. I'm gonna grab my stuff and, and just go let my dog out. And then, and then we'll go back and grab the deer and, and roll. So I walked out of the woods, hopped on my e-bike, went back to my truck. And about 45 minutes later, it starts raining. I'm like, oh, no, I already don't like tracking blood as it is. And now there's going to be rain. So I had marked off kind of a couple spots where the arrow was and everything. So I go back in there and I like already losing blood from where I'd already found it. And um, ended up calling a buddy uh, and he kind of came over and helped me find it. Um, We didn't find anything. We knew a guy with a dog. He brought the dog. The dog really wasn't getting anywhere, but we were just making big circles. Um, and it's, I couldn't make this up if I tried, but we're, I'm about to call it. I'm like, I don't, I know this deer's dead. I hate that. I'm not gonna be able to find it, but it's a Sunday night. Everybody's got work in the morning. We've been out here for, I mean, I think it's close to 10 o'clock at this point. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think we're gonna have to call it. Maybe I can try to come back tomorrow after work and see if I can't find the deer um, and some daylight. And so we're 
on our way out the woods and we see eyes and the guy with the dog's like, Oh, there's eyes, there's eyes at your buck. And I said, there's no way my buck's dead. And it was a doe and the doe ran off. So we walked up to where the doe was and that doe was bedded down with my dead buck. What? Craziest thing ever. Even, even more annoying when we got to the buck and I pulled up my map, to see where we exactly were at. We are 10 yards. Um, 10 yards down the wood line from where I walked out to get on my bike the first, the first time I walked out of the woods. Oh. So um, the deer didn't end up running, but maybe 85 yards from yeah. where I shot the deer. Yeah. Uh, but we just kind of tracked and tracked and tracked, but you know, I mean, I couldn't tell you why that doe was bedded with that buck, but that's the only reason why we found that sucker. Um, so it was, kind of a roller coaster of emotions uh, to like kind of the highest of highs to the lowest of lows and then, and then back. So it was really, really cool. Uh, I was glad to be able to have a couple friends there to, to help me out. Um, my best friend the day prior had shot 170 inch. Wow. Split G2, split G3 buck here. So it was a great weekend to, to be in the woods down here in, in West Tennessee. Yeah. And when, when, when was that day? Uh, what was it? November November 28th, I believe. Okay. Very cool. Something like that. Like right there towards the end of November. Um, I think that was a date. I'll check it in a second to verify that. But um, yeah. And that's kind of when we're going to see a lot of that peak rut activity um, for the most part is, is kind of, kind of in that time frame. That end of November time. Yep. End of November to shoot. You'll see him rut. I mean, the big deer I shot on December 28th, I mean, he was, he was running yeah. pretty heavily. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely a lot spread out, more spread out for sure. Yeah. Now, before we get it down, like, uh, like gear rabbit holes and your, your Missouri thing, like now with that hunt, having that success this year with the bow, killing a really cool, you know, like you said, five and a half or older deer in Tennessee, what does next year, like, what are you doing now to, to get ready for next year already, or kind of taking a break a little bit, kind of game map game planning a little more checking other people, you know, maybe public pieces out. What, what's your, your, your attack here? Yeah. The, the, my mind never, never stops from, from whitetail. <laughs> um, so, I mean, so to actually with CBD regulations and whatnot, um, in my area, deer season actually ended yesterday okay. in Tennessee. So um, now kind of starts for at least my track of public or my track of private that I have um, kind of the off season of kind of leading into turkey season too. But really for me, this, you know, next two months is going to be like boots on the ground. Take what I saw during the season, where the deer are moving, the buck beds that I found the deer that were bedding down and just walk it all. Mm-hmm. And I learned really, or, you know, started doing that about two years ago when I was trying to find the big buck that I shot. Okay. Well, how did he get to this field? Because I normally only saw him over here and only had pictures of him over here. Yeah. So I really get in the woods and, um, walk, try to figure out how these deer are moving. And you learn something new every single year, every single time you're out there. Um, and that's the main piece for, for kind of Tennessee. Uh, we don't really have a lot of public around here um, in this area. I think my buddy and I may like 
try to go up to land between the lakes area um, in Paris, Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, Kentucky Lake, and maybe do like a boat hunt for a weekend there one day. Um, but for Tennessee in particular, and, and, and my my track of land that I have, just boots on the ground, um, listening for turkeys and, and watching for what watching for deer, deer trails, uh, and beds. And then I kind of just note all that in my Spartan Forge app. And then, I mean, it doesn't really ever stop for me. I mean, that's kind of where my mind's at like 24 seven, man. Uh, All my friends get annoyed with it, but here we are. Yep. Amen to that, man. That's it's, it's funny. My wife and my daughter, uh, right before she was watching a a show on Netflix and it was like the, uh, what's it called? Like the bake shop or something like that, where there are four wonderful, amazing, incredible bakers and, uh, they get like random people come on for something, you know, like, Oh, right. we're having a baby. We're going to surprise my whole family, make a cake. And like these four bakers just make the most insane, unbelievable cake tastes good. Looks great. And I, at the end, I was like, I said to my wife, what if, if you were to go on there to talk about my birthday cake, what, you know, what are you telling them? My, my interest is like, uh, hunting deer whitetail like bow hunting like that's it you love cookies and cream and oreos yeah. <laughs> like, i was like exactly. all right there you go there it'd be uh some type of whitetail cake with a hunter and a bow and it'd be cookies and cream i'm, I'm cool yep. with that <laughs> i'm the same way though man well that's awesome dude i'm i'm pumped for you that's really cool like to see your your progression the, the learning aspect of things things clicking for you um now talk i guess you know very cool year for you this year and with obviously killing that buck and coming off of, you know, a buck from two years ago and learning and growing and developing as a hunter. And then you took your first out of state hunt this year. Uh, Talk, talk, run us through like why you wanted to do that, what your goal was to do that and what that all entailed to, for those trips or trips. Yeah. So that trip goes pretty far back. So I'm pretty much the only one in my friend group per se of like our hunting buddies that are like, want to go out and do all this public land and, and run and gun and mobile hunting and just adventure hunting. And just from all the things that I see on YouTube where I'm like, Oh my gosh, that looks awesome. Um, and my buddy put in for Kansas, uh, two years ago or for 20 for the season of 21. Okay. And didn't get drawn. So at the end of the year, um, at the end of 21, we're like, okay, yeah, we're all putting in for Kansas. Um, it's going to be awesome. So in January, me and my buddy, um, loaded up and actually one of our other friends came with us just to tag along for a weekend trip. But we went up to Kansas and scouted a bunch of walk-in land and knocked on some doors and got some phone numbers, um, and kind of had an idea of where we wanted to go hunt. Uh, we, we know some guys that hunt up in that area that kind of pointed us in the right direction for some land um, or just places to hunt and just kind of figured out, okay, what units do we want to put in for? Where are some areas that we can go hunt in those units? You know, it was January 7th is when we went. So like right after the season ended there, so really good sign, mm-hmm. fresh sign still from the season. So just taking that and noting it all. And so that was kind of like, I took off right then and there. I was like, first week in November, check going to Kansas. So I already took the, the week off put in in April and then, uh, June rolled around and no draw and, um, 33,000 applicant out of state applicants or something like that for, for Kansas. Typically Kansas is like, yeah, you have to draw for it, but you're going to get drawn. But 
it's slowly turning into, you know, an Iowa one. So yeah. right off the bat, I was like, you got kidding. And I was like, you know what? I'm going, I'm just going to go to Missouri. I know you can get an over counter tag. Still Midwest. <laughs> it's Midwest. It's right in that area. Yep. Um, and so I immediately like went to the maps. Like I've been to like St. Louis for some sporting events and whatnot. And, and I played, played a football game at Mizzou um, in college, but other than that, like never really been to Missouri. Um, even though it's relatively close to where I'm at, <laughs> still never been, um, especially in this aspect. So it was like on the Spartan Forge app, like right off the bat, like just trying to find big public pieces um, that like just look really good. That's got really good terrain. That's got, you know, not only do they have saddles, but, you know, you look at saddles, and then kind of the obvious places. And that's like, okay, that's where everybody's going to go hunt. Okay. So where are some other really good terrain features that are past those points? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what I was looking for. Um, you know, I would have loved to have harvested a deer on that trip. And that was obviously the ultimate goal is to go harvest a deer. Uh, but realistically looking, I was like, all right, this is just gonna be like a huge learning experience for me. So I didn't have anybody going with me. Um, I just kind of was like, let's go, let's just load up and roll. So I, I have a, a pop-up tent, um, on top of my truck and, and an e-bike. And I, you know, I was, I was going to leave my dog at, at one of the puppy daycare things here and, and they filled up at the last second. So she's coming with me too. And we're just rolling out. Um, and that was, um, you know, I pretty much going in blind, just, just, trying to figure it out as I go. And it was definitely uh, way different than you could probably just expect just from not ever doing it, but it was totally worth it. Yeah. Now when you, uh, cause I read like your, you had a, a cool post kind of like recapping that on yeah. Instagram and everything. And you talked about, like, you went to one little piece and didn't really see much. And you went to another piece and you saw a little bit better uh, caliber deer, I believe, you know, like when you get, when you're looking at the map, right. And you do all that e-scouting and you get to that spot and maybe you could talk about, hopefully maybe talk about that second spot that you got into a little bit better deer and everything like that. You know, when you e-scout and then when you get boots on the ground, when things look maybe totally different, what was kind of your, your game plan that you're like, okay, I got to do a little pivot here. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I went up on a, on a Sunday morning drove up and met up with the, the tag outdoor guys. Mm-hmm. And I'd been in commutes with them on Instagram and, and Caden um, for a while. And I was like, Hey, it will be really cool if y'all are in Missouri when I'm there, I bet y'all will be. And like, <laughs> yeah. I think we are too, yeah. but we don't know yet. And so that ended up hung out with those guys for, for an hour. And then I, I had picked out a couple places like, you know, that aren't like, you don't hear about, you know, big deer in these areas or big hunting, but it was a lot of public and it wasn't, um, it wasn't any like big national force. It was just kind of like a, you know, just public place. There was mm-hmm. a campground. I was like, you know, I guess this will work. That, that wasn't my end goal on the maps. Right. I just, I was in that area and I was like, let's just go try this area out. It looked okay. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it looked, um, pretty good from that maps. And I was kind of looking at it. I was, I was sitting there talking to them and then kind of driving, trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do? Yeah. Um, 
so when I got there, um, I went to sleep and then I woke up and I was like, I'm not gonna, it was kind of rainy and I wasn't going to bust out onto some public land that I've never seen in a state I've really never hunted, um, without even being able to see. Um, so I kind of just chilled for the morning, took the bike out and just rode around and it was like, I wasn't expecting it to be as hilly as it was. Um, <laughs> and, but I was super excited to see what the timber looked like Yeah, because in my area, like I dream of like big open timber, like you just don't really see that here. And not that you see that, you know, all through Missouri, but in parts you will. And then this part was one of them. So it was a, it was strange. It was like a big track of land with like a gate that you could drive a truck through, but it was locked, but there was one truck, I guess he worked there and he was hunting. Um, so he was able to drive, but I'm riding my bike on this road, just kind of dipping off into the, some, some of the big timber, just looking for kind of any fresh sign. And I found a couple of like smaller rubs, um, kind of on the side of these, these, (laughs) I'm going to call them mountains, but they're not mountains, Mm -hmm. but huge hills, Mm -hmm. um, in the timber and, and really like open, uh, kind of funnels down, down these mountainsides or hillsides into kind of like as, as much open areas I could see. Um, and I found a, what I thought was like a really good spot. It looked like it'd be amazing. So I sat up there a couple of times and, and had a couple does work through, but you know, when you hunt an area for two or three sits, uh, you can quickly find on, on a you know week long hunt, you can quickly, uh, deem an area dead or alive at that point, um, for the amount of time that you're working with. So, you know, after like two, two does, two or three does I saw, um, I, I knew it was kind of, kind of time to, to go to where I originally had planned to, to finish out the week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the terrain was super cool. I mean, it was, it's one thing to see it on the maps. It's one thing to know what it looks like, but then when you get there and it's daylight and you can see, and you can see the thick, you know, bigger timber, um, you know, it's at this point, it was like October 31st, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you've got the, the leaves falling everywhere, the Brown and the forest and whatnot. And like where I'm at, it's everything's still green. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yep. Um, just, just being able to experience that different, uh, topography and different like kind of landscape. Yeah another little little notch on the old learning tool belt you know what i mean just you know exactly. new terrain features you know obviously like you said you didn't kill anything on on that hunt but took a lot of you know home with you basically with that oh. a new a new experience right like it's never like in the moment you could be like ah crap like that sucks you failed but in the grand scheme of things it's okay what did I learn? What's, what am I taking with me to the next hunt? Right. What am I taking to my next out of state hunt, but also to my in-state, like where I hunt at home. Those are the key things that I think we as hunters always have to try to be more positive about, you know, I mean, for, for certain ones, like for me, my wife's like, what, you were gone for five days and you didn't kill anything, you know, or whatever. And you know, they don't get it. They, they get it, but they don't get it. (laughs) But my friends are the same way. Even the hunters, you go do all this stuff by yourself. I I love the, the ones that like, especially for people I I might work with or whatever, or other family members, you didn't catch one. I'm like, no, I didn't put out a net and catch catch one. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just want to. I love that one. I know. I'm like, shut up. Oh, man. No, man, dude, that's that's really cool. And like you said, you were camping out there. You got a chance to meet the Tagged Out Tour guys. Uh, they're a trip, man. Uh, all, all four of those guys, they yeah. were, um, they were, I mean, yeah, we hung out for probably like three hours. It wasn't a big showing uh, to this. It was, um, you know, lunch that they were doing. There was a couple other guys that were doing like a buck tour from like Massachusetts and just driving across the country and hunting. So like, that was pretty cool to kind of hear their experience on the way. Um, But then they had to head out. And then, so it was just Spoonie and Cole and Caden and Grayson. And we were all just kind of hanging out and, you know, I got my dog out and we played, they played together. Grayson was missing his dog. So he was able to kind of, see my dog Bella and, and just kind of talk about, you know, their trip, you know, or season so far and kind of all the cool things that they were doing. Yeah. So you alluded to earlier about shooting your deer on camera, but you walked out of, out of frame. Was this your first year filming your hunts? No, no. <laughs> I've done it on and off for like a long time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I had, have a ton of footage of deer no deer i ever really shoot and then when i ever get ready to shoot the deer i don't have the camera like hey i'm just gonna go like last year i shot that buck which obviously didn't kill him but then i shot like four doe and didn't i mean i I didn't really film any of those hunts same of the prior years every time i have a camera nothing really happens i filmed my friend like six years ago miss a doe with a crossbow by like a mile and the crossbow is like dead on. So that was, that was my best studio I had so far. So, uh, now I'm pretty like nerdy about the stuff and, and kind of know all the ins and outs. Uh, but obviously you still try to learn everything you can. And this year it was kind of more like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And that's like, I'm not going to not film any hunts. I'm going to have it all set up with me. And the biggest part for that for me too, is just like finding your system with, you know, being efficient, being quiet and being lightweight. Um, and I don't know for, I don't know about you, but for me, if like, if I don't have something perfect, like I kind of just shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if my system doesn't hold everything I need or if it's too big, um, if I just don't feel like I'm going to be efficient and effective when I get up in the tree, I instantly like shut down. I'm like, okay, I got to refigure this out. So, um, you know, I had, had that kind of dialed in all year long. For yeah. the most part. That's cool. What what equipment are, were you using this past year? So this past year I used uh the fourth arrow satellite arm. Yep. Um I had used the talon arm last year. Um I really like the base on the fourth arrow um satellite one. It's just a lot Super smaller compact. and quieter. Yeah. And you know, I I was a little concerned on how much weight the arm is gonna be holding, and it was perfectly fine. I was I ran either my, uh, I had a Canon G 50, um, that I was filming my hunts with, with GoPros for different angles. Um, and sometimes I even put on my Sony, uh, mirrorless camera, um, to run that instead of the Canon. Um, and the arm held just fine. Yeah. And that's what the same camera arm that I was using. Um, I didn't, I didn't film though a ton this year. This was a year where, it just seemed like it seemed like every time I took the camera out, I didn't see shit. Because <laughs> um, which is 
you know, in years past actually happened more, more often, but this year I had a lot of really cool encounters and I saw more deer on stand this year than ever. And I should have brought my camera. And when I would bring my camera, I didn't see like anything, but it's funny because I had an opportunity the second, technically it would be the second weekend, but it was, you know, our, our season opens up on one Saturday. So that next Saturday. Okay. So it was like that one full weekend, I went back home, I was in a spot and I was like, screw it. Let's, let's shoot a doe, even if something comes out and I'll film it hopefully. So this deer came in a real young fawn and she kind of winded me a little bit. And when she took off coming from a whole different direction was a, was a bigger doe. And when she worked her way in, I was tossing and turning like, what do I do? And so when that first doe came in, I was like, oh, she's only an hour. If this other big doe comes in, like I'll shoot her and see what happens right maybe i i have still a good amount of time left if she runs the different direction whatever so this doe came in at like 30 yards and i was like screw it and i just total this has happened now at least four times when i've knew i was going into it to film and like hopefully get it on camera and as soon as i would get in that kill mode i say screw the camera it stays close to the tree i just grab my bow and i do that right uh, unfortunately I hit really far forward shot process. Everything went really good. I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know really what happened. Didn't really get really much penetration at all. She ran like she was, I mean, I never seen a deer run as hard, as fast as she did. You know, I really thought I crushed right. her. And then I was like, wow, when she turned to run back where she came from, like there was no arrow in her like at all. Like it just seemed like wow. I got, two inches of penetration. My arrow setup was like 480 fixed blade, just hard hitting arrow. And it just, something was off. Uh, however, obviously I did not recover. There was like no blood and I didn't see a a buck, but more, moral of the story. I just get full like dummy mode and just say, screw the camera every single time. Because the one year that I was again, dead red on it a couple years ago during the rut here in Pennsylvania, a buck was coming up. I was filming him. I was getting ready. And as soon as I like moved it to get right where the, I would have stopped him basically to draw back. He just went, looked right at me. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. When in reality, I had probably three opportunities right before that, that I could have killed him, but I was messing around with the camera. Yeah. So I don't know, man, it's, I've where as much as we hunt, we don't hunt enough where, I could be like, Hey, Hayden, do you want to film me? Or like tell Dimitri, like come film me or Jim, like, unless they're obviously tagged out, like that'd be in a perfect world, obviously. Yeah, but man, like when it's early season like that, it's tough just cause like my brain just goes totally squirrel because I just want to focus on kill. Right. You know, yeah. you, you want to do your part of ethically doing that. So yeah, man, it's, it's, I'm with you. It's a love hate relationship. I like doing it when things come together and I, tell friends like people will message me are you going to film this year or are you going to film anymore and i'm like man i don't really see a lot of cool things you know what i mean like to make it multiple i'd be like that like two episode person like in a season probably just to put out quality yeah. quote-unquote cool content like i'm not individuals where i'm like hey, we're going to ohio we're going to new york we're going to maryland i don't i don't do that much to put out a ton of things like i'd rather give you a review on the OMP 
you know, bovice, <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. because that's what I like to watch too. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it is a love hate relationship. It's tough. I give you kudos, man, for, for at least, you know, not necessarily getting the kill shot, but to get that process up and, and work yeah. through it, you know, it's, it's definitely, and it's a learning process. I think it'll grow with me and it's always just kind of been a hobby and just kind of something I wanted to do. And, you know, going on this out of state Missouri hunt, like that was something where, I was like, all right, I'm going to film every aspect of this because like, this is cool. Yep. So even on the road driving, you know, we were filming everything. Um, and, and it was a pain to, you know, kind of carry a lot of that gear into, I mean, when I, yep. when I tacked up North, uh, to, you know, the Iowa, Missouri, you know, Illinois, like corner, you know, that was like some crazy country, and to the point where I couldn't even really drive my e-bike back there because it was so hilly. You spend most of the time walking it up. So, you know, it's not a lot of weight, but any extra weight, um, you definitely make you, make you think twice about it when you're going on a mile and a half walk, yep. you know, at four thirty in the morning. Yep. Um, so I'm even, good. you know, I, I stuck with it and I filmed and I was able, you know, at, at the, the, the property up there, I saw a pretty 10, you know, I was way back there. Cause there was like, this place was like super crowded. Yeah. So you're talking like mid seventies, like it was colder in Memphis than it was like Northeast Missouri, Missouri wow. which is crazy at the same time. Um, and like, there was like four different guys or groups of people like at this one track of public land. <laughs> And they're all from Pennsylvania too. It was like three different groups of guys from Pennsylvania <laughs> from the exact same city that didn't even know each other. Oh my gosh. Where was it? What city do you know? It was like close to Memphis, Missouri. I don't remember the, the, the name of the city uh, that this track yeah. of public was at, but yeah. like right there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, all these guys from, from yeah. Pennsylvania in the same city. Uh, so I had to really kind of track back there and, with all this camera gear and I was like, I'm, I was just committed to it. Yeah. Um, and, and I was able to film, you know, up a small 10 and, and a couple does at this one area. Um, so I was instantly like seeing a little bit better deer. So kind of made the, the extra miles with, with the little extra pounds worth it. Yep. Um, so that's, that's the key the commitment. Yeah. That's the key. You have to come out feeling like reward reward. You know, there was some sort of reward because man, that, the worst is when you just because of hiking up a certain mountain, uh, that I've done and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I know I'm probably not going to see something today. And on that way back and you're, tr you're lugging it and setting it down and you're like, my gosh, you know, it just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool, man. Well, you talked about too earlier, you mentioned the CWD thing. And I know that's a, you know, it seemed for what's, what's funny is I could be so wrong and I, I, I need to do a better job for following more so of Pennsylvania news. And a couple of years ago, man, it was a big thing here in Pennsylvania. Like we still yeah. have our CWD zones and areas, but it's not, it hasn't been on the front page, if that makes sense. Right. It's not like that yeah. leading topic and you said like right now, like you kind of are in a little bit of a hotbed of it. You know, what, what's that been like for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, we're, if you look, if, you know, anybody goes and looks on the TWRA website, um, you know, from like a hunting, like, let's just call it deer hunting, you know, regulations, like there's going to be like three units broke up and pretty much all of West Tennessee is like unit L. Um, you know, a couple years ago, 
man, you could get so into the weeds, but you know, somehow, some way CWD was, you know, tested and found kind of in like smack dab where we're at. Right. Um, and, and there's a lot of, I think there's a testing facility here for like deer research. And, you know, there's people that say they brought it in to test it to see if they could cure it and it exploded. And I mean, you could get super in the weeds on, on how or why it just automatically showed up. Uh, but it's, you know, affecting like 13 counties or something like that now, but it's all this far West Tennessee corner really. Um, and, um, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, I'm going to take a little bit, you know, I, you've got like two different kind of groups of people that are looking at like, Oh no, CBD is destroying the deer population or it's, Oh no, CWD is causing us to maybe over, you know, trying to figure out how to word this correctly, but like over kind of do what CWD is. And I'm not sitting here saying that CWD is like not real. Like it's real and you, you'll see sick deer, uh, but I think the the biggest challenge um, that as a deer hunter I've been faced with CWD is the fact that, you know, these deer are now hunted like eight months, rifle hunted eight months out of the year here between, um, you know, here season just ended. You've got, you can file for a permit to rifle hunt all the way through March wow. uh, for deer. And then they're handing out, uh, crop tags left and right in the summertime. So you're starting like June, July and August, uh, shooting all kinds of deer. And, 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 you know, that's warranted from a, you know, farmer's perspective. Um, I mean, that's kind of needed in a lot of these areas because we do have a, such a high deer population and grand scheme of things. I mean, that's why we're able to shoot three does a day for as long as I can remember. Um, and it still hasn't put a dent in the population. (laughs) Um, to the the velvet hunt, which is awesome. I'm so glad Tennessee started that um, a few years back. But in Unit L now, you can rifle hunt the velvet the velvet hunt. So mm. a lot easier to. I mean, I, I could shoot. I could sit over a 200 acre soybean field with a sniper rifle and see a huge bachelor group come out. Like it's super easy. Yeah. Um. So they're 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 just hunted. You know, it used to be big bow season, muzzleloader season, then gun season open about thanksgiving and now gun season opens in november and goes all the way till the end of january now so uh, the deer just hunted like a lot now um and and you know we're promoting you know testing and and trying to get all the information that is needed um for us in in tennessee but as a nation and understanding what cw is doing um but you know there's there's a lot of controversy on how it's handled or the goal so you know what I'm really glad last week, uh, you know, NDA national deer association, uh, sent out an email to, you know, I guess the people in Tennessee on behalf or kind of in correspondence with TWRA where TWRA is now submitting, you know, um, a five-year plan that they're actively, you know, about to finalize in the next couple of weeks on, you know, the steps that are needed to take to understand this disease a little bit more, um, and to, you know, whatever we can do. I don't, yeah, you can't it. really prevent national, right. you know, diseases, but, um, you know, just as a hunter and as a conservationist, like how we need to handle that disease and, and, you know, I, you know, hopefully everybody does their part in it. Right. Um, whatever, it, you know, turns out to be, but 
you know, there's a lot of interesting stats that come up with it. And since through 21, I think they started this. um, I want to say like the end of 2018 or, or no, it was during 2019 season, I believe. Okay. Is when the, um, no, it was the end of the 2018, like January, 2019. That's when it kind of red flagged. And, um, and since then through 2021, they tested, you know, I, I believe I saw on, on the, the outline and kind of the information of it. It's like they tested somewhere around something like 60,000 deer and I think 2000 of them came back uh, positive. Um, I I've had deer, I've had like four deer that I've tested those that I've come back positive. Wow. And I mean, if you pull up like a hot map, like where I'm at is like, I mean, the stats don't lie. Like yeah. it's hot zone, hot zone, hot zone. So it's a big thing. I think it's a lot of, you know, it's, you know, the interstate transportation of deer is, you know, that's changed from a national perspective, you know, everybody that's aware of it. I know Pennsylvania has got its fair share of it, but even States that, um, that aren't, you know, like having these CWD positive cases come in or whatnot, you know, everybody's becoming a little bit more aware of it. So, um, I'm interested to see what, you know, the government as a whole, I know there's a big push to have some government funding, um, that I believe was passed to help with, with the research of CWD. Um, so I think Tennessee has a big role to play in that. So, I mean, it's definitely changed hunting, um, you know, from when I first started even until recently, um, and definitely makes, makes the unpressured deer, you know, pressured, but, um, and, and, you know, you can spin it however many ways you want to on, you know, what's right and what's wrong. But at the end of the day, there's, you know, we all have one common goal and that's just to protect, the the deer population for, for future generations. Right. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. That's like you said, I, I, the, the key is for people to, like you said, just play the, the role and hopefully we can continue to, you know, make progress and not, you know, regress in things. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. that's crazy. It's, it's we're, like, you, like you said, it, come on that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's being in the hotbed, like you said, and, and kind of, you know, I, I haven't honestly, to, to be completely honest, I haven't looked at like a newer updated map of where a lot of cases are, but you said that it seems like it's, there's a, a good bit that, that way. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I submitted a doe, you know, it was, I got a new bow like January yeah. of 19. Um, first day hunting with it, shot a doe. It was right when at this point in time you like had to test your gear. Okay. So I dr- drove over there, they tested the lymph nodes and I got no back positive CWD. Hmm. And that's like, that was, you know, a couple weeks into, um, just probably anybody knowing what CWD is. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been around for 70 plus years all the way, you know, you could trace it all the way back into Canada, but it hasn't been, a vast issue and it wasn't a big thing where a lot of people knew what it was. So, you know, in, with a matter of a couple of weeks, you go, Hey, there's this really bad disease called CWD and all the deer are going to die. Test your deer. You have to, and then you go test your deer and it's positive. And you're like, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're already learning from it and we're already kind of getting a better understanding of what it is and what it's doing in the long term. But still there's a, there's a lot more that's got to play out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll continue to do my part for yeah. sure. That's awesome, man. Well, good luck, man. And like you said, it's 
just crazy. It's one one yeah. thing after another. It seems like. Well, before we we wrap up, Hayden, you know, big gear guy. What were some of your favorite pieces of, of gear this year that you used? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the first light transfer pack, um, in conjunction with like the Mystery Ranch uh, Treehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, I think kind of helped elevate my game. And I pretty much ran the first light transfer pack from the moment they released it all the way through. Um, that was probably the biggest, um, biggest add on to my, you know, that I really, really, really liked it still doesn't fit all of the notches, um, from my perspective on like a mobile bow hunter, you know, saddle hunter. Um, but like, it was a really big, uh, help. Um, another Phenomenal piece is the dialed archery site. <laughs> um, I love that site. I have two of them now. I have them on two of my bows. It's, um, I mean, I just, it's from, um, God, the, the biggest thing I've always hated with the single pin, even though I shoot much better, it's like, okay, yep. let me look outside, turn the knob. Like just the being able to flip that inside was kind of a huge jump. Yep. Um, but you know, the side in of itself, it's, it'll hold strong. It's, it's durable and it survived a pretty crazy year for me. So that was another big one. Um, and then when, uh, tethered released the fast pack, um, you know, I, I was one of the people, you know, scrambling online in a, in a (laughs) website crash to try to buy this pack in time, uh, thinking it would get sold out right off the bat. Um, and the pack is phenomenal. Um, I could gr- agree I'm, with you on that one. Yeah. I'm a little broader of a guy. Yep. Um, so the straps are, so it's, a, 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 the straps are a little bit more in between. Uh, yeah, definitely. For, but, for, for a guy like, like yourself. And, and then yeah. even though I'm, I'm short in stature, I do have a little bit of broad shoulders myself. And, uh, you know, I talked to Carl about that and, uh, on your, I have a prototype, even my, it's funny because I told Carl, like I'm wrapping up a video and he's like, Oh, you're going to have that ugly Molly on it. Cause it's, you have a whole different upgraded yeah. Molly system of mine. You know, mine's still fine. Mine works perfectly great. I have, you know, I have no issues with mine, but uh, yeah, I mean, for, for me, I, there's not a lot I would change. It's pretty on point. If, if, if you're filming, it has necessary needs. Like it has our pockets and it has the, the, the bowling ball pocket that I've, I, I had the, uh, our satellite basin. And then on yeah. the, the bigger side pocket is where I had my camera arm. And then, yeah, I mean, literally there's not a lot I would change. If any. Now, if yeah. I had to do like two things, I would say, um, a little bit bigger, you know, width yep. for the shoulder straps and then like a waist strap. Those are yeah. like, yeah my two biggest things that, but all in all, I mean, I still ran it for so two months. So the thing about the waist pack, the reason why there really isn't one is because it's, it's high enough so that you're high enough. Yeah. Oh, I know. Because if you've got the broader shoulders, you know, there's only so high you can kind of pull it up because your shoulders taking so much space. So you still feel it in the lower back, but the idea of it being up is phenomenal. And, and, you know, I, I'm interested to see where that goes. Cause I think that takes a huge step into the mobile hunter. Yep. And, um, I'm, I'm excited to kind of see how that, how it builds off of that. What's funny. Um, what's funny. You say that about that pack is when I stopped bringing 
just a camera arm in the base and like you know it's not a lot oh. of it's it's not a lot of weight by any means but you know a camera the you know you have your uh, your arm with your fluid head and, and the base. Once I removed those three things, oh, that pack yeah. like was even so much better <laughs> just oh, because yeah. I was like money, money. Exactly. Ex- ex- money puts it, it was just like, I told Carl originally seeing it. I was like, man, that's the end all be all like kind of tree stand saddle hunting kind of pack. If you know what, depending on like f- for what we do, you know what I mean? And like I said, other than maybe, like you said, a little tweak here and there, that is a a phenomenal pack to, you can't agree more. Yeah. What else, Um, what else did did you use or did you like? Let's see. uh, You know, Spartan Forge is a big help for me. Um, And I just picked that up, you know, when they released the app last year. Um, So, you know, I used to use Onyx and, 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 you know, being able to just see, uh, kind of updated maps, um, rel- you know, mm-hmm. often yep. is super, super helpful, um, especially when I was going to all these new places. So um, the maps are were a big, big help um, and something that I keyed on uh, big time. I would say my favorite piece of, like, clothing that I wore all year long would be, like, the source jacket. Like, yeah, that was a great piece. First, I sure. just, like, knocked it out of the park, right? Yep. Um, especially down here, like – Dude, I'm telling you, it was hot all season long, except for like the week of Christmas. Um, where like I jumped from just like wearing pants and like 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 a WIC 150 like base layer for like the majority of the season and occasionally throwing on like the source mm-hmm. to skip everything in between and go straight to like the sanctuary. Yeah. Um, where it was like one degree and then it was back up. But you know, so to have that source jacket, like just stuffed in like a little small portion of your pack, um, was super, super, um, it's a versatile piece. Helpful. Oh yeah. God. It's, yeah. it's, it's very, it's such a great piece of, yeah. I just don't understand how nobody's ever made something like that yeah. before. Yeah. That's, um, it's a good insulation piece and it's a great outerwear piece when it's, yeah, definitely. When it's not as cold. Yep. Yeah. So those are kind of like my, my bigger things. Um, you know, and I, I would say those are probably, I mean, pretty much any piece of another one, actually, I can't believe I skipped it. It's number one is the the one sticks. Okay. Yep. So I have been trying to get the one sticks for like two years and they were sold out. (laughs) Yep. So I like, I ordered the Skeletors like the day they released. And those are great. Great sticks for value. Great sticks. Love them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the one sticks are just like that much better. Right. Yep. Um, And so that, that's, I, I can't believe I've, didn't even mention that one. Cause that's like the number one. I use those every single hunt, yep. no matter what. Um, that's why those they, just you just money. use them. You know what I mean? It's the yeah. one. Yeah. I know what you mean. It, they're light. Yep. It's the, they're quick to put on just like Skeletor's, uh, attachments the same. Um, it's quick and easy. What, how many um, sticks were you running this year? So I have, um, I'm a big stick geek too. I've got pretty much every single stick you could think of, but, um, I've got, I got two sets of the, the one sticks. Um, I don't really, I'm not a huge aider person. Okay. Um, mainly because when I come down, I struggle going up's easy. It's coming down. It's a little struggle for me. So I typically ran, uh, four one sticks, like almost every time. And then there were instances where I would take six. Right. Um, well, it's not especially like if I had some layers on where I knew I wasn't gonna be able to get that reach. Yep. What's two more pounds, right? right? So for me, the way I ran mine this year were three early season with an eater, 
And then as it got later in the year when cover kind of obviously dwindles and I need to get a little bit higher, that's when I would go with four with an eighter. And sometimes, sometimes too, it, you know, it would be nice if I didn't have that fourth stick, I didn't need it. I just would leave it at the base of the tree, whatever. But yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's, that's where the, I was using the backwoods mobile this year. I really liked the ultimator. I used that last year. Uh, Dimitri used my Skeletors this year and I gave him the ultimator to to, the way that kind of the sticks are with that. It it works well. It works a little better. Um, So I was using the back mobile. um, What is it? GC one. I think I believe it's called. So that again, lived on the other side of the bowling ball pocket that stretched out. And just when I got to the tree, put my stick up, grab that sucker out. It's a three-step eighter. By that point in time, I'm up as high as I could reach. You know, I'm only, like five, six and a half. So yeah, I was as high as I, I wanted to be all, all year long. And, uh, one piece too, that I, I, I think I did talk about it on one of the podcasts. Uh, I did switch to the regular size platform this year and not our XL. I've ran the XL since the last three years since it was released basically. And I went back to the regular size platform this year and, um, I had plenty of room. I'm only a nine and a half boot, but it did what I needed it to do. And I never thought I would have been as comfortable as I was because I was such a believer in the XL that I was like, ah, I don't need the regular. I'm, you know, it's too small, but it definitely yeah. was not. I was able to maneuver. I was able to put my back against the tree when needed. It's a great, great little platform. Yeah. I'd made a, I did like the complete opposite of that. <laughs> so I bought, I got the XL this year. Yep. Um, and, 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 I like it a lot. I mean, I'm a little, I got like size 12 and a half. Yep. Um, I love my, my regular predator. Yeah. I mean, I ran that for two years before getting that one this year. So, um, yeah, all the same. Yeah. Uh, it's it just a little bit more room. It's, yep. Um, but you know, either one works great. I did put the Versalinks on this year. Okay. That makes, I have found makes it way easier. Yep. Um, to use i noticed sure. i noticed for myself this going into the season i i wanted to try that usa um yeah strap whatever it's called i tried yeah, it i tried it prior to the year and i couldn't get it i like quick enough and i don't know so going into the year i was like ah screw it i'm just going to continue doing the cam strap and late season when that came about you know what i got the bug again to try it out and i ran it and it it took me just the amount of same time as with the cam buckle. Like I ended up figuring out it out really right. quick and I had no issues with it. So I'm like, sweet. It, yeah. It's, it's nice not having that one little piece of buckle, even just putting that into my predator pack on top of the, you know, on the, the outside. Pain, right. Yeah. It just, it just so much easier. It just goes, whoop, goes right in. Yeah. Now. No, I, I found that uh, my platform actually got a little bit more snug to the, to the, 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 the tree. tree and, you know, I was able to hunt with Taylor, yep. um, you know, two weeks ago and yep. he ran pretty much the exact same setup that I ran. So I feel good knowing that yeah. I feel good about my setup, knowing that Taylor's got pretty much the exact same setup. So. How, how funny is Taylor? Uh, Taylor will be a lifelong friend for sure. He yeah. is a, I mean, he's a trip. Yeah. Uh, we didn't, I don't think there was a moment in the stand that we just weren't like laughing. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. just the whole time he's, he's so funny. Yeah. I, I said, I mean, I've hung out with Taylor a couple of times, uh, met him first. Really. He was the first individual I met through tethered and it was not even at a tethered 
uh, booth or anything. It was at a first light one. It was a couple years ago at the Harrisburg outdoor show, met him there. We kicked it off and then held a tethered event in, in May. Got to meet him there again. We stayed in contact throughout those times. And this past summer, I got a chance to hang out with him in Montana for about a week. And it, oh my gosh, I just, that dude, and just knowing that he did comedy back in college and yeah. did ATA with him, and oh my gosh, man, that's like you said, a friend forever. But I, if I could pick anyone to do hunting camp with, it's him, just because you know it. It's just you could come back from a hunt, be miserable because you missed a buck or you didn't see anything, but you know he's going to say the funniest shit ever, and the whole you, time, <laughs> the whole time and that's all, it. It was, I mean, yeah, we just nonstop laugh. Like Adrian was there too for yep. a little bit, yep. and so big A. I'll go at it a little bit. It's funny. And, yeah. you know, Bill at Spartan Forge, who, um, yeah. you know, obviously for the listeners, it was a, the Spartan Forge veteran hunt and it supports, you know, uh, a various different um, veteran institutions to kind of help with, with uh, veterans after they get back to the States. Um, and Bill is hilarious. So just kind of see all these guys interact, interact, you know, morning number one, like I met Taylor there like super early and, like it was like we had been talking for I guess a year plus at this point. So yeah. like we know each other. We just yeah. never met in person. It was yeah. like, hey man, let's roll. So we went and snuck in on some deer and like a, a hog. Like the only hog anybody saw the entire trip. I'm I'm kind of like walking behind Taylor and Taylor's you know out in front. We hear something. He turns around like give me a look like was that you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I turn around and look because there's deer in the field that we're trying to like get up close to. And there's a hog like following us on this trail like 20 yards away. Like just huge. Oh my God. And, um, kind of like freaked us out at the same time. And then like, we tried to get a shot off, but as soon as we realized it was a hog, he realized that we were humans. And yeah. I mean, the whole trip was hilarious. It was, uh, Taylor's Taylor's a great guy. There's a lot of good guys on that trip. The, the seek one guys, Lee yep. and drew, those were two really, really good guys as well. And, um, Garrett, yep. uh, from DIY sportsman was there and, uh, just, just a couple other Spartan Forge guys and some guys that won the hunt and, and Tim Beninja from Tim yep. Jason from yep. Tim Beninja Outdoors was there. I got to hunt with him one night, That's so cool. it was a great, great trip, but great people and yeah, Taylor just just left me laughing the entire yeah. time. Oh man, that's good stuff, dude. Well, Hayden, man, I, I appreciate you coming on and enjoying uh, your company here this evening. So thanks for sharing some cool stories and some strategies and everything over the past couple of years. And you know, where could people follow along and and uh, check you out? Yeah. So, uh, Instagram right now is H T Ferrari. Um, pretty simple. Um, that's kind of where I post a lot of my stuff. Um, I have a YouTube and there's really nothing on it right now. Um, but as I kind of get more into this filming aspect and, um, maybe start doing some gear reviews to, you know, share what my money and now somewhat knowledge kind of with everybody else so they they can kind of make an informed decision beforehand so that'll that'll come here soon this summer i plan on spitting out some of those so then i'll link that in the instagram but for right now instagram ht ferrari awesome it'll be sweet dude well thanks for coming on man and everybody listen hope you enjoyed this one go follow hayden over on his uh instagram handle and thanks again we'll see you next week antler i appreciate it